Welcome to the Advisor Insight Podcast, where we provide informative, insightful content for financial planners and advisors to help you grow and develop your business, your knowledge, and your client base. I'm your host, Andrew Sheena, and in today's episode, I'll be speaking to Dave Seeger about a topic that will be really valuable to those advisors looking to build relationships with professional connections. Dave is the Managing Director of CIFA Professional, a centre of excellence with the Simply Biz Group, who help financial advisors build relationships with solicitors and legal professionals, ensuring they're well-equipped to be the best referral partners they can be. Dave's been in financial services since the late 80s and is a regular contributor of articles to the trade press. So today I'm going to talk to Dave to discuss how advisors can best work in partnership with legal professionals. Morning, Dave. Thank you for joining me today. Morning, Andrew. No, thank you for inviting me. A pleasant, a pleasant change in lockdown to do something, uh, do something different. <laughs> Absolutely. Before we get started, Dave, obviously for most advisors, one of the key aspects that they not struggle with, but they want to do more of is getting more business and getting more clients, apart from those very lucky few who have a, a very strong client base that they've developed over years. And one of the key aspects to doing that is developing relationships with professional connections. So I think this is going to be a really interesting listen for a lot of advisors. Uh, do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about how CIFA Professional works with advisors and what the background is? Well, CIFA Professional is um, sprung out of the, the original organisation called CIFA. Now, CIFA, when we first launched in 1992, was a direct response to the fact that solicitors were allowed to set up their own in-house financial planning departments. And the founder of CIFA, a chap called Ian Muirhead, who's now retired, um, was one of the very first solicitors to set up an in-house IFA. He found himself advising lots of other solicitors how to go about it because it was completely new and alien. It was only allowed after the Financial Services Act of 88. Um, and after a while, he thought, well, I'm enjoying this more than the actual practising as a solicitor. <laughs> so he, he set up what was then called Solicitors for Independent Financial Advice. And effectively, right. it was the UK's first service provider. It was designed to help solicitors um, plan, set up, get directed, and then run their in-house IFA. And, and for many years, that's all CIFA did. Um, the big change came around in uh, with N2, Financial Services and Market Act, dawn of the, the FSA as was, uh, which then became the oversight regulator over and above the law society. And, and the big yeah. change that people didn't realise necessarily if they weren't involved was that previous to this, the, the, the in-house IFA, if you like, had been the compliance function. Uh, you, the, uh, the FSA said, well, that's, that's no good. It's your company. You have to be the oversight compliance. You know, one of you, Mr. Right. And Mrs. Partner, Mr. and Mrs. Solicitor, Director, however the firm is structured, one of one of you on the management of the law firm has to be responsible for the advice. And of course, solicitors went, Well, that's not what we signed I'm up sure for. About that. No, we, we yeah. were quite we were quite happy having an IFA that we employed to run a, a great service for our clients. Uh, but if we're responsible for the advice, we don't know enough. So a lot of solicitors stopped um, and in fact, there are less than, out of 10,500, say, solicitors in England and Wales, there's less than 50 who are directly regulated. So that gives you an idea. Uh, and in, in 2002, there were, there were close to 800. So a big difference. Oh, wow. um, so we started doing a lot more as an organisation. Whilst we were still a compliance and service provider for solicitor IFAs, we opened the door to accountancy IFAs. And we started marrying off, if you like, the solicitors who had been doing it and obviously therefore had embraced the idea of financial planning being appropriate and relevant to their clients. Um, with the other profession, uh, if you will, in 2002. And if you like, that was the dawn of what became CIFA Professional or, or, or the origins, because we were helping good quality accountants who were running financial services 
to yeah. offer that service to uh, fellow professionals in solicitors. And I, at the time, was working for Legal in General and looking after CIFA. And I said to Ian, why are you limiting yourselves to solicitors and accountants? There's so many great quality fee-based IFAs out there these days, or new yeah. model advisors, as they, as they were becoming known, if you like. Um, why don't you open the door to them and help them work with solicitors, not just accountants? And, it, and effectively, Ian said, you're right, come and help me do it. So that's when I left that and joined CIFA. And then in 2008, and a year later, we, we launched CIFA Professional. And CIFA Professional was designed to help good quality financial advisors build those connections with solicitors yeah. by various means, uh, knowledge, you're being at the core, um, marketing material, pre-approach material, uh, website support, seminar support, all the things that we've become renowned for, all our handbooks are, you know, uh, around the areas where legal and financial overlap. So we basically built that service. And at the centre of it was a law, law society endorsed directory of our members. And, and, and that 2009, it's grown and grown and grown such that when Simply Biz bought us, we severed the link between CIFA and CIFA Professional and they became... You could have both, but effectively they came unique propositions. And the CIFA service provider on one side and CIFA professional, the marketing and and, um, and assistance with growing relationships sisters on the other. And that became the specialist style, which I now run, uh, having been involved obviously back in 2009. So we're sort of 12 years into a journey of an ever-evolving proposition. And the reason it's <laughs> ever-evolving is because legal compliance and, and the legal marketplace is ever evolving. So you have to adapt yeah. and ensure that the members that we support are always relevant and up to speed with exactly what they should be doing, what's compliant, what's relevant, what's appropriate when they're talking to solicitors and working with solicitors. Yeah. So it all comes from that seed of legal professionals, solicitors, understanding that the financial advice is a very useful and needed service for their clients. But then obviously they don't want that that responsibility to offer that in-house because of the, the regulatory perspective that they have to take care of. Uh, and effectively, what you're doing is making sure that you can facilitate uh, effective relationships between advisors and legal professionals and making sure that it meets that regulation throughout. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the raison d'etre. And it's not easy um, because solicitors, uh, they're much, much better than they used to be. But uh, as, an, as, a, as a profession, they've been very... Um, not anti, it's not the right word, but they haven't necessarily embraced the the complementary need for financial planning in the sense that they wanted to facilitate it themselves. Whilst they recognised it, they might have just said, fine, we've done our bit, we'll leave yeah. you to go and sort out the other bits. That's what's changing because I think the modern client or clients are far more complex, needs are far more complex, and the, there is far more overlap. I mean, even, for example, if you take in our world, uh, Pensions Freedom, that changes everything with regard to later life financial planning, doesn't it? Because estate planning and, and retirement planning and, and perhaps care planning all bl- blend into one. And obviously that then might involve a legal professional as well. So the, the world's changing and with it, the client perspective and the need for a more holistic approach from advice is changing. And I think if you speak to the average client, um, you know, most clients will tell you whether it's financial services or legal services, or oh, they all talk in jargon. I don't understand the terms. The client just wants, the client just thinks, I've got a set of problems I need solving and I want to go somewhere where where someone's going to solve them for me. The client doesn't necessarily think, well, I want to go over there for my tax problem, over there for my financial problem, and over there for my legal problem. They just think, I want it solved. So, you know, our belief is that it doesn't really matter where the journey starts for the client. 
it's that there's a joined up approach once that journey starts. You know, whether it yeah. starts with the, the financial planner needing the client to have a will or needing a client to, to put an LPA in place, whatever it may be, you know, what we want is for that client uh, uh, to know that as soon as they see the first person, they will be handed on appropriately and professionally to the second person. And that's what CFA Professional is all about. Uh, and, you know, obviously we're looking after financial planning clients, but really it's that overall holistic approach that we believe in and we're passionate about. Yeah, so you're effectively it puts the client in the centre of the universe and everything is managed around that client. And as you say, with all of the overlaps and similarities and some of the things that need to be done in modern financial planning and modern life planning for, for clients, it makes sense to have it done in a joined up way with people working together. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Andrew, because it, it is the change in our profession away from selling product to product, need to need, to a more yeah. far-reaching, as you say, life or financial planning perspective, probably using cash flow modelling and saying, this is the journey, there's your endpoint, how are we going to get there? And there being various points and, and staging posts, if you like, along that journey. And at many of those staging posts, you're not going to have just a financial need, there may well be a legal need. Um, so from our professional point of view, we've changed a lot. And I think solicitors are starting to recognise that. And the irony yeah. is, of course, in the past, solicitors, oh, financial advisors, oh, you know, they're a bit, they're a bit fly. You know, they, they, they used to be double glazing salesmen, or they wear white socks, or whatever it may be. And, and, and of course, that wasn't helped by the fact that it was a commission orientated world. So you yeah. were going to be rewarded and paid by selling a product. Mm-hmm. That's no longer the case. Of course, the irony is that while solicitors thought of us as unprofessional because of that. That's exactly how solicitors work. You know, solicitors, <laughs> solicitors very rarely are putting a legal plan in place. And indeed, you have individual firms of solicitors where one partner or one associate may not speak to the other one in a different department. You know, there's no reason for a conveyancer to work with a, with a litigator. It's just yeah. the way it's always been. They don't do the same things. They work in different worlds. They may never, their paths may never cross. Whereas in our world, there is that logical follow-on and need for further things. So... I think solicitors are starting to buy into this now, starting to recognise that actually, you know, the financial planner, if they get the right one and work with the right one or ones, actually can be a glue in the journey that brings them back into the process, which otherwise they may not have been involved in. Just because mm-hmm. just because the solicitor satisfied a, um, a need for legal advice or, 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 or legal services at a given point in time, does that make that customer a client? which is the question they need to ask themselves, you know, and if you, I used to do a thing years ago after the legal services act, when I used to present to financial advisors and I, I look back at it now and think, Christ, I was young and stupid, but actually it was a relevant point to, I used to ask financial planners, you say you had 50 in a room. Yeah. Making my point about it. I would say to how many of you got a family solicitor and you'd normally get around 10% would put their hand up, um, which, which makes a point on its own. But if I was feeling particularly cheeky, I would then pick out someone of my age, maybe, you know, that time in, the, in their 40s and say, OK, sir or, or madam, you say you've got a family solicitor. And they say, yeah. I say, how many times have you moved house? And they would say well, four or five times. And I said, didn't use the same solicitor every single time you moved? Well, no. Oh, but I thought you had a family solicitor. You know, you're just making the point that actually what they probably did was use a conveyancer who... Yeah was recommended at the time on price or was the cheapest because it's a 
fairly straightforward service. It's not necessarily a client generating service. So you just make that point. And and the, the, the message I always try and put across to financial planners, and I think sometimes they don't realise the power they have, is the relationship thing. You know, you, yeah. you don't walk into a solicitor's office and say and hear a solicitor saying, you know, did a great divorce for you last year, can I do you another one? You know, <laughs> did the probate for your mum, by the way, how's your dad? You know, it doesn't work like that for solicitors. So whereas for an IFA or a financial planner, yeah, it's time for your six-month review. Can I come and see how your yeah. plan's doing? You know, see if we're on track. It's it's so easy, and it's and it's accepted now, part of you know, part of modern day life. So that's the key. Mm, that's interesting because it's not an it's not an angle that I had considered. But for a legal professional solicitor, it's it's actually a way of cementing the relationship with their clients because you're much more involved in the ongoing and long-term planning for that client. Mm. Whereas, as you say, you know, it could have been transactional, but now you're involved in something that's a much longer-term relationship and plan for that client. So you're likely to get more business. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, it's easy as in, in, in the financial planning world to be uh, uber-critical. Oh, solicitors, oh, they're just living transactional. They don't understand client relationships take a step back um, and think why not it's not it's not a choice it's not a choice it's not because they don't want to be it's just because the nature of the their profession is they're dealing with a matter people approach them with a matter people don't approach them and say i would like to retire in 40 years time can you help me people approach them and say i need to move house can you help me and it's not the same um and it's the link up between the two professionals that can make it the same and yeah the other thing that change is there's a lot more onus in the last two regulatory changes, or if you like, the regime of 2012 post-legal services act, the first solicitor's regulation authority regime and the new one. There's a lot more onus on the solicitor or the solicitor's practice to know their client and to, um, because in the past, it may have been the case that you just took down the information that was appropriate to the service you were going to provide and not think, wider than that but i've noticed that changing a lot i mean i have moved house recently um twice in fact in the last three years and there's now a questionnaire coming from the solicitor the conveyancing solicitor asking which other services might be of interest to me and have i got this will and have i got that and so forth and and as a case in point i'm not just saying this because i'm talking to you i Mm. i have moved house recently i did use the same solicitor and i have just completely revamped with my wife and redone wills with the same solicitor. Interesting. So I now do consider myself a client of this solicitor, but I'm 54 and I work in a, in, in a world where I'm encouraging this. And yeah. I now think of myself as in a client relationship with a solicitor to a degree. And yet I believe passionately in it. So where does that, where does that put everyone else? Yeah, Absolutely. And it's interesting what the, you mentioned about the, the regulation there, because uh, I'm sure the financial advisors and the financial planners listening will be all too familiar with the, the regulatory aspects in, in financial services. But presumably the regulatory requirements within the legal profession are going to be more stringent. Um, they haven't been. Uh, certainly haven't been. I mean, the first after the Legal Services Act, um, the if you like, the oversight regulator, the Legal Services Board that was created by the Act, right. was asked, asked all legal regulators to, se- to separate from the legal representative bodies. And what I mean by that is if you think about it, until 2011, 
uh, or to, until the Legal Service Act of 2007 came into force after that, you had the Law Society, for example, for solicitors. And the Law Society was both regulator and representative body. It's like your boss being your trade unionist. That, that <laughs> was the situation. So this is the first big change. The Legal Services Act was all geared to improve the provision of legal advice to the end user. It's why, it's why we had RDR happening at the same time. It was the same thing. Yeah. It all originated in Labour government. It was all like directgov.org, you know, where can I go? What sort of information can I get? What's my choice? Um, and it was the same for the Legal Services Act. So one of the first things they wanted to do was improve things for the consumer. So therefore, the regulators had to be more stringent. So all the legal representative bodies, the law society just been one, patents office, license conveyances, bar standards council, all the legal representative bodies had to separate out their regulatory regime. So the SRA would be the Solicitors Regulation Authority, which is the regulatory regime now, the, the if you like, the FCA equivalent for solicitors. Yeah. And their first regulatory handbook, um, which came in 2012, was written by the same person who wrote the financial services. One. Okay. So a, lady, a lady called Samantha Barras was poached with her team from Canary Wharf to go to Birmingham and asked to write the same style. So if you looked at the Solicitors Regulatory Handbook of 2012, it was 10 overarching principles, indicative behaviours, um, outcomes, exactly the same as financial services. The difference was that solicitors weren't used to compliance and regulation in the same way that financial advisors were. So you had this 440-page tome where there was an indicative behaviour and outcome for absolutely every aspect of anything a solicitor might ever do. Right. And nobody really looked at it and nobody really embraced it. So the new regime, which came in in 2019, has condensed that right down to only 120 odd pages. And it's very, very, very concise. There's a shorter number of principles. And there are just seven principles that govern everything a solicitor does. So that's what came in in 2019. The reason why this is so positive for financial advisors as potential referees for solicitors is that for the very first time, there is a firm code of conduct. Now, previous to right. in every previous regime, you've, everyone's heard of the solicitor's code of conduct. And of course, in 2012, when the, the first SRA regime came in, it, it, it created the need or, 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 or a compulsion, if you like, for a firm to have a compliance officer for legal practice. And in theory, that person was responsible for embedding this new regulatory handbook, which wasn't really happening. But even if it did happen, all the rules on referrals were in the individual code of conduct. So you could well have a situation where I might say to one of our members, go and speak to the compliance officer of legal practice, the CULP for short, and explain to them what the firm should be doing when it comes to referrals. And the CULP could reasonably have said, with any, without any problems at all, and with full justification, yes, I understand that, uh, Andrew, but that's in the individual code of conduct, and we trust all our individual solicitors to do the right thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah. But what it meant was you had this confederation of sole practitioners or regime, which has always been the case, is propagated. And you don't have a firm-wide approach or a recognised mm -hmm. approach to referrals. So in the new regime, we now have the individual code of conduct mirrored by the firm code of conduct. And the firm, the firm code of conduct now gives power to the compliance officer to put a process in place for everything. And we're talking about referrals today, but for everything. So what you have is now, in theory, obviously, you know, because the, the, the SRA is not like the FCA. It doesn't have the wherewithal to be, you know, doing site visits, inviting solicitors to football stadiums to talk about the regime. You know, it, it, is, it is a trusting regulator, but it is starting to show its teeth a lot more than the Law Society ever did. And it does want firms to have a recognised process um, and checklist and audit for everything. 
So everything, and, and so what it, I'm not going to give you the exact wording, but basically the CULP and the firm have to put structures and systems in place to ensure that every individual within the firm is, is you know, is, is complying with the rules that affect them. So the referral coming from the individual solicitor should be cloaked with a process that is established for the firm. So that's new. And that's since November 2019. That's never been the case before. So what we'll hopefully have over time, um, and, and many firms are embracing it rapidly because it's actually it's quite easy. It's much easier for the CULP in the, with their responsibilities to say, right, these are the firms we're using. We've done the due diligence. You will use these firms rather than have 20 partners using 20 different yeah. financial advisors. They, they, they really, to manage all of those. Yeah. So it's like reviewing. It's, it's like if a firm, you'd never get a financial advisory firm using 10 different wraps or platforms, would you? You know, because they're responsible for reviewing that every year um, or, yeah. or, or 10 different DFMs. You know, so you, you want to have a, a manageable amount that you trust and you have a good relationship with. Then you can nominally review. But when I say nominally review, I'm not being like, you know, I'm not making light of it. But if you were, if you had established a relationship with a particular platform as a financial planning firm, unless that platform doesn't progress and add the tools that other platforms yeah. are, you're going to have to have a, a good reason to move. And it's not like, yeah. unless there's a um, material change in yeah. the level of service. So, so, or... so, yeah, absolutely. So, so right now is a good time for the financial planner to be getting involved with that solicitor, become one of the established people in their process. And then if yeah. you do everything right, once you're in there, why should that ever change? Interesting. Yeah. So it's, it, uh, and it's a case of, now is the time to, to have those conversations and that's get involved. So that's something that advisors should be very aware of, is that getting involved with legal firms now is a very, very good time to do so because they're getting in yeah, I mean, yeah, at the ground floor. As I say, it's a, it, what we do at C Professional is we're providing uh, pre-approach material, marketing material, knowledge for our members so when they approach the compliance office of legal practice they're doing so very very well prepared so they've already yeah. done their due diligence they they would have all the questions that they think the solicitor you know so you can look at it two ways the solicitor can say right we're going to do our own fact finding and we're going to make in reality like anyone in life you want things to be made easier for you so if you if you are the financial planning firm that approaches the culprit says look these are all the things that I think should be important to you when selecting a financial planning referral partner. You know, we are in, you know, impartial in our wide process. These are our fees. We've got a clean regulatory record. We've got a fantastic local reputation. These are the qualifications we've got to do all the work for those relevant legal areas where the financial overlap. You know, these are the, the organisations we're members of, whether it's STEP, SOLA, Resolution, and so forth. So all these things that you could put into a due diligence document would be what I would be doing if I was a financial planner talking to a solicitor right now um but but also then not not just speak to the solicitor you know or the solicitor you might have a relationship with ask if you can be introduced to the compliance office of legal practice yeah uh, really try and cement that and and the other key andrew is the one of the seven principles there are two there are two principles well there are three principles that really affect impact referrals the first one of the most important one is but everything a solicitor does had to be in the client's best interest yeah so you have to be able to demonstrate why are referring to a particular firm is in the client's best interest. So that's the due diligence, the research. And you can say to a client, you know, we are using this firm um, for this area of financial planning for these reasons. Um, But one of the other ones that's important is they have to act with independence. So what the SRA said to me is they wouldn't expect a firm of solicitors to only work with one financial planning 
Okay. So they'd have a panel, effectively. So, yeah, a panel, short list, preferred list would be the appropriate way to go. And if you think about the way solicitors work, in that they work with specialisms, you know, um, then you might look to have a relationship with the firm for later life financial planning, a relationship with the firm for yeah. the work, a relationship for estate planning would be a logical uh, way to go. And of course, if you're a bigger firm of financial planners, you may well be able to serve all those needs. But you have to, if you're a smaller firm, you have to bear in mind that you know, these people have studied law for seven, you know, they've, they've studied for seven years to become a solicitor. And then they've specialised in one area of law, most, more often than not, maybe two. So if you, you're a financial planner and you walk in and say, I'm an expert in every aspect of financial planning, the system might think, <laughs> really? You know? Not sure about that's, that. That's impressive. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but of course, uh, I think that, that's the challenge, isn't it? Understanding how the two different professions think and understanding how the two different professions approach their clients because it's, it's difficult as you say for one side to see how the other side works yeah and so it's it's about building that relationship with them but you've got to get in through the door in the first instance what do you think what are legal professionals looking for in partnerships with advisors what, what do they want out of well, how I, mean, I think the things i've mentioned that, that should go into your due diligence document are, are, are obvious but sometimes it's the extra things and i think one of the things that I would be doing if I was talking uh, you know, in that first meeting or the second meeting with the management, with the compliance officer, what I'd be looking to impress upon the firm of solicitors is, is not only what you would like from them and why it's important for their, their clients to get the financial planning aspect referred by them rather than just disappear off to somewhere else where they, they lose the relationship straight away. But the, the yeah. flip side of that is key. You know, are you ready as a financial planner to explain to a firm of solicitors where in your process you will be needing clients to get financial advice? How often it happens and who do you use? Because you don't want to be over promising to seven solicitors if you're a two man IFA, do you? So you need to be quite honest about this. And it may be you just want one firm that's going to get all your LPAs, one firm that's going to get all your wills, you know, one firm is going to get all your divorce, whatever it may be. But you might yeah. say, okay, Within my fact find, this is the process. This is where I ask, have you got a will? But the logical then question then is, and it's like the old adage in our industry, isn't it, that you know, loads of people have got life insurance and very few policies are in trust. It's, one, it's, it's all very well to say, well, look, Mr. and Mrs. Solicitor, I asked the question, have you got a will? But then what do you do when the client says, no, I haven't? Do you say, well, yeah. you should have one? And let them, are you doing what solicitors do? You know, traditionally, are you saying, go and sort yourself out? Or are you saying, actually, we refer all our clients to this person at this solicitor's practice for their wills? We have a fantastic relationship. We have a discounted fee that we've arranged with that firm of solicitors. We regularly refer to them. You know, so that's what I'd be doing if I was a financial planning firm. Yeah. Same with LPAs. So it's that case of not being going in and saying, I'm going to give you all the reasons why we should use us. We've got these qualifications. We've got a clean regulatory record. We've got a great local reputation. Our service standards are fantastic. All these things are important. They're absolutely needed for a solicitor to justify why they are referring to you. Yeah. But it's everyone's going to be saying the same thing, aren't they? Everyone's fee-based these days. Everyone's got qualifications. So it's those extra things. And you need to, if you think logically about it, it, the, it is exactly what you want from them that they should want from yeah. you because you want – you know, if a client comes to you um, uh, and says, well, I, I want to retire, and you say, well, Andrew, that's great. Um, I can help you with that. Looking at the situation, we're going to put you in flexi drawdown. Uh, for me, 
if I am a financial advisor putting a client into Flexi Drawdown and they haven't got an LPA, I'm negligent. So what I should be saying is, I don't know what your decision-making capacity is going to be for the next 30 years, Andrew. So what I'd like you to do, this is what we're going to do, but before we do it, I'd like you to go and see my colleague at Blogs and Blogs Solicitors, who will sort out the power of attorney that's appropriate. And then when you've done that, come back and then we'll sort out the retirement yeah. planning. And on, the flip like, side, and on the flip yeah. side, if I'm, you know, if I'm going to see a solicitor, um, you know, I'm getting divorced and the solicitor says, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Seeger, but I can deal with all that for you. Have a, having said that, I can see there's some significant pensions there. Um, that's out with the, my field of expertise, but we work with Andrew Sheen or Andrew Sheen of financial course. planning for this. So it's that joined up holistic approach yeah. both ways. Yeah, and so much like any relationship that you're trying to develop, it's got to be a two-way relationship yeah. that you're you're making clear that there's going to be benefits from both sides. Again, still with the client at the centre of it and the client's benefits from being at the centre of it. But to develop that relationship with the with the solicitor, you have to make clear again those things that we've talked about, but especially how they're going to benefit as well and how you're going to help them get business. We'd see with many relationships with professional connections if the referrals are, are only one way that relationship probably wouldn't last that long no but also i, I speak to solicitors and they say well i've referred work to a financial advisor i never heard from them again but equally i would speak to financial advisors and they would say oh i gave that solicitor a load of wills i never get anything back you know you're going to hear those yeah. conversations both <laughs> ways and and you just have to rise above it and say well okay that's how it was let's make yeah. sure that's not how it is and how it's not going to yeah. be going forward. I mean, it's, and that's just that, something to be aware of, isn't it? Because we talk about the client being at the centre of the process, mm-hmm. but the reason that the solicitor has referred that client to you is because they want that client to get good care. So mm-hmm. they need to be informed and you need to tell that, that solicitor that their client has been taken care of, what you've done with them, and that they're kept in the loop and kept in that process. Yeah. And also, I just think, this, I, I speak to financial advisors about C professional or financial advisors when I present for other people about what we do and, and, and the legal market and the amount of financial advice. Oh yeah, I gave up my sisters years ago. They, they just don't get it. They, they, they don't understand. I gave up. Well, giving up on something 10 years ago doesn't mean it's the same now, does it? It's like, it's like saying our profession is the same as it was 15 years ago. You know, it's totally, totally different. And so if you don't yeah. tell solicitors how different you are and you don't give them a chance to tell you how different their regime is then you you're missing you're missing the opportunity so you have to constantly be keeping up to speed with what's going on so yeah. and so you're relevant and, and and a really good analogy with this um new approach from the sra that they want firms of solicitors to have a if you like a recognized process for everything so you know i'm coming to see a solicitors this is how i'm going to be dealt with the outcome's different because the advice is different and the area of advice is different, but the, this is the way we deal with clients. That's what the SRA wants. And we, we went down that road a while ago. But he, when I say to financial advisors, if I came to see you 15 years ago and I saw different advisors within your firm, you might have used the same fact find. In fact, you probably would have done. You might have used different attitude to risk questionnaires between you. You might have used different research tools in those days. You might use Standard. You might use Scandia to do your fund research. And then you would have put together your own portfolio by picking funds that you thought were great with a highlighter. You know, whatever it may be, you can over you can oversimplify it. But the point is, there wasn't a firm-wide approach. Whereas if now, post-Sandler, we look back and think, crikey, that was awful, wasn't it? How, how could we not have a firm-wide approach that was measurable reviewable all the things that we take as normal now 
weren't yeah. there 15 years ago, weren't even there 10 years ago in the main. So we've changed beyond all recognition from what financial services was to what it is today. And, you know, so why would, why should we assume that solicitors don't change or don't yeah. need to change? So, you know, you have to, you have to evolve as a person and as a business and you have to work with other people that are evolving and have a business that are evolving. <laughs> and you just got, you just got to find the right ones. <laughs> of course, of course. And as, as a, cha- as a result of the change in regulation, have you seen that there has been more demand from solicitors for, for these types of partnerships? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I would say that wouldn't I, but no, that, that definitely has been. And I think, I think it doesn't need to be that frightening for solicitors, this whole, oh, God, we've got to do a panel, we've got to do this due diligence. I, I think in the main, it's not going to be a case of the people you've currently been referring to are the wrong people. It's a case of yeah. justifying why they're the right people. You know, you did it because of your experience. You did it because they had never let you down before. And they're probably good reasons, but put it into a process and make yeah. it firm wide. So the challenge for the CULP is going to be you know, narrowing it down from maybe, you know, 12 haphazard relationships across the firm to a tighter knit community that is recognised by everybody in the firm and then making sure everyone is adhering to that process. Um, and it and it's not going to happen overnight. And as a regulator, the SRA has got loads of things that it needs to uh, that it needs to address. And it is starting to clamp down on various areas. Transparency is a big one where they're, they're asking solicitors to be uh, far more prominent about what's involved in the service and the price uh, and firms that aren't doing that are now being fined. So they are starting to show their claws as a regulator. And I think it's only a matter of time uh, before they are, will start checking the firm. Okay. What is your process here? What is your process? Right. Firm wide. So, you know, and, and of course, COVID's changed everything as well in that the, the, the SRA had already announced in 2020, if you like, that its next three year program of regulatory reform was going to center around, uh, technology and innovation because solicitors are definitely behind the curve on using technology compared to the financial planning community for example so using crm using content management and this sort of thing but also covid's mm. accelerated everything hasn't it because everything's been done online services have to be delivered in the same way you know, and still be delivered um and i think the other thing it's a great time for ifas right now is because we've if you, you, you can read so many articles that people have got such a heightened awareness of the need for a will because you know, people's right. sense of mortality and, and worry yeah, of their own mortality has changed it? inordinately in the last 12 months. So if I was a financial planning firm right now, um, where it's quiet and I'm not necessarily seeing clients in the same way, but I, I, I want to be strong and ready when I come out the other side of COVID, I'd be, I'd be looking at my client bank thinking, OK, let's look at all those people I said to them in the past. Have you got a will? And they said, no, let's review that. And if they haven't done anything about it, Let's get a list together and let me approach a solicitor now with, look, I've got 10 clients for you. I've got 10 yeah. wills that need to be done. You know, this, and I think, I think where a client might have, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And I'm only 30, I'm only 40. I'll, I'll do that later. You know, there's a lot of evidence. There's huge demand um, for mm. getting things in place, LPAs and wills. So it's a great time. Yes. Um, and I think you, you made an stock. interesting point as well about how, advisors are probably used to looking at a client and looking at a client situation and, and spotting where they might need a certain piece of planning or a certain piece of you know, legal help or legal guidance. But on the other side, solicitors might not necessarily be so aware of that need because as you said, they specialize in one particular area. Someone comes to them for a divorce or for a will. Mm. So they might not necessarily have that 
awareness to look at a client yeah. and see where the needs are. So perhaps that's something that advisors need to look yeah, at. It's, it's a good training. thing for an advisor to be training assistants. And that's why we've always done, you know, the trust, trust invest and estate planning guide and, you know, uh, pension divorce guide. I mean, those guides are written um, with an eye to where the overlap is and who should be doing what within the process, both legal and financial. But yes, so you, you provide those. We have you, our members get yeah. those three textbooks and they can order a certain supply per membership. Yeah. So we, we also have client guides, um, which are um, very, very simple 20, 20, 25 page booklets outlining the, the generalist, the general aspects of financial planning in later life, in estate planning and in pension divorce, such as a solicitor, you know, who, who works with a CFA professional member can give this user-friendly client guy without too much jargon just explaining you know you're you're getting divorced these are the financial aspects this is why we work with Andrew Sheena Andrew Sheena financial planning whatever it may be so we do a lot of that sort of stuff for our members but yeah but you're definitely right I mean highlighting you would hear IFAs often moaning that the solicitor had already said you should be splitting your pensions you know 50-50 or whatever without actually looking at the overall picture you know and solicitors through through lack of knowledge or through trying to get a job done, perhaps they believe appropriately have overstepped the mark and given bad advice. Um, so so that training of where in the process in any particular yeah. aspect you should be referring the client is is you're right, Andrew is very critical. Interesting, that's good. And you've mentioned the the regulatory side and obviously the change in regulation, meaning that firms need to have a that shortlist in place. Are there any other codes or standards or rules even that are in place for the re- legal professionals that advisors need to be aware of in terms of how the process works? Well, the big one, the big one at the moment, and, and the thing I write about most is transparency. Um, the the, the, the programme for reform that culminated in 2019 uh, was a three-year programme from 2016 to 2019. But that whole programme of change was driven by consumer research. And what better? You know, uh, if you're going to be a regulator, then if consumers are saying, we like it this way, then you listen. Uh, and the things that the clients were saying, through this is all done by the Competitions and Markets Authority research, and they're basically saying, look, clients are saying, well, we don't often go and see a solicitor because we think we can do it ourselves. We find there's other areas where... There's other people that look more approachable than solicitors. You know, it could be co-op legal services. It could be rocket lawyer. It could be RAC legal services. If you have a relationship, we're not going to a solicitor. And, and the reason they were given was the perception they might be too expensive, but also they didn't understand what the service was, what's involved in this particular legal service. And it wasn't explained well on solicitors' websites, and it wasn't obvious what the price was going to be. So in 2018, the SRA introduced um, transparency regime, where in certain areas, there were seven core areas, um, the seven most used legal areas, really. But as far as in our world, the two that would impact us would be conveyancing and and probate. You have to, as a sister, list um, what the protections are for it. That's, that's, uh, you know, uh, by way of compensation and and complaints procedures, you have to list. But then you have to list um, what's involved in the service, how long it's likely yeah. to take, who's going to be delivering it, and what the likely price is going to be. All these things have to be. It's compulsory. Um, and also you have to display the fact you're regulated by the SRA and a badge and it clicks through to the protections and so forth. And solicitors are... Uh, there's, a, there's a degree of reticence and resistance, and I don't understand it, because clients 
want it. Clients want to be able to see what's involved. And if they can't, they'll go somewhere else. And I, yeah. I find solicitors who are still object to this. We still in recently, we're two years in, and there's still up to, I think it's about 28% of solicitors saying we're not going to do it, we haven't done it. The SRA is now getting shirty. Um, right. Started fining firms in December for not displaying this information in these areas. And it's only a matter of time until they extend it to all areas. Because if you think about it logically, if, if I can see on probate and conveyancing on a solicitor's website all this information, makes it so clear what's involved. And then I click, for example, I've read probate. Why am I looking at that? Because someone didn't have a will, for example. I then click on will, and it's just a basic paragraph. That looks suspicious. And it all comes back to what I call the Google Society. And if you don't accept it, in my view, quite frankly, you're an idiot. And this is not just for solicitors. This is for anyone. If you don't accept that we are in a Google society, and this is all the research the SRA has done, um, the Legal Services Consumer Panel, the Competitions and Markets Authority, people research before they approach, before they buy. Whether it's a car, whether it's a microwave, whether it's a pension, or whether it's a will, people do research. The younger do more, but even the yeah. older look at two or three solicitor websites, the evidence says. So if you accept that, uh, if let's just take it back, I'm a client, I don't have a relationship with a solicitor. Or, let's be fair, I'm a client, I don't have a relationship with, I'm a, I'm a potential client, I don't have a relationship with a financial planner. I need some financial planning or I need some legal. And I don't have a relationship with either of those professionals. The first thing I do is Google. Oops. And you Google uh, pensions advice in my area. Even if you don't yeah. put in my area, Google gives you the four or five people closest to your house, doesn't it, automatically. So, so then what I do is, okay, I, I look at those two or three websites and I look at them. That's how I do my research. Which one do I approach? The one that looks the most approachable, the one that has the most clear information, and the one that's honest about yeah. what it's going to cost me. And if solicitors don't get it, I, I, I just lose faith in them. And a lot of them are. But I've spoken to senior people. I've, I've, done, I've, I've been asked to be on panels. In fact, I'm doing one in March for the Law Society. I've done, I've done Law Society discussion panels. I've done articles for magazines. This is, this is a world issue. This is a modern client issue. It's not about, oh, why should I have to put my price or why should I have to put my information? You know, we're solicitors. It's irrelevant whether you're solicitors. Yeah. You are professional people. You've done a lot of work to get where you are. But why would you cut off your nose to spite your face? If people aren't going to use your services because your website's rubbish, it doesn't matter how qualified you are. You know, so That's right. and, and, it, and it, I'm being very simplistic here, but I really believe this quite passionately. And I believe it for financial planners as well. Transparency is here to stay. It's crucial because we live in a Google society. And that's the place you research. You research. And the, 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 the crass analogy I use, although it's completely pertinent, is your website is your shop window. The more attractive your shop window, the more likely someone is to come to the door. And it really is as simple as that. So right yeah. now, this is the big issue for the SRA, and it should therefore be the big issue for solicitors. Uh, they're starting to find firms who aren't doing it. And some firms are entirely missing the point, and they're doing the absolute minimum. Oh, well, they've told me I've got to put my prices for those services. I'll put a little box on the right-hand side of the top of my website. Uh, they're missing the point. The advice yeah, is we we produce you know beyond transparency guides. I write about it all the time. It's it's a, it's an area I'm passionate about. But you know, for example, uh, there's a lot of evidence that says recent testimonials are valid. People would rather use would rather compare your services or, or, or 
or validate your services on your own website than use a comparison website, for example. But recent testimonials are good. Old testimonials are bad. Things that are so simple. You know, putting biographies of your staff. What do they do? Do they walk a dog at the weekend? Do they play rugby? Do they play hockey? It's personalising the service before you've even approached. When you're looking on the website as a potential client, not a client, how approachable, that's the solicitor that's going to be doing my conveyancing. Crikey. They look nice. They've got similar interests to me. They, They seem very approachable. So therefore you approach them. Go one stage further. You know, probably, when you're in conveyancing, sometimes you can't go to a solicitor. Who's the colleague who's going to be working? Who's the legal exec who's working with that solicitor? Is their picture there? Are they, is inform- are they part of a team? Do I know everyone in the team before I approach? You know, as, are the testimonies recent? Do I, can I see that they've got not just qualifications, they've got accreditations? For example, are they members of Solicitors for the Elderly that say, we understand dealing with later life vulnerable clients. We have a, we, we've done an accreditation. We have those soft advisory skills. These are all things that you can make front and centre on your website. The more information you put, the easier it is for a client to make a choice of whether to approach you. So this is the, this is the hot subject right now. Um, yeah. In okay, regulation and also in business professionalism. Yeah. And, and that's probably something that advisors can work very closely with solicitors on because that's something they've had to do for very many years. Well, yes and no. I mean, I don't know. How, I don't know how many advisors, how many advisors put their prices on their website. Now they might have it in terms of business when they present it, when the client's seen them. But do they put it on their website? And solicitors have to know likely costs for a process in certain yeah. key areas. Um, and the interesting the research that's come out from the SRA did a massive, over 3,500 people were researched this year, so at the end of 2020. The research has said that pre-transparency, one of the issues was that clients, because the clients had no idea of price, they perceived that solicitors, because solicitors have always been said to be expensive, that solicitors going to be too expensive therefore they go to an alternative provider provider of legal services who they perceive may be cheaper but that may not be the case uh so so now that they do have to put the price on there the evidence has actually come back that people were actually quite pleasantly surprised because it's not about price it's about value and so the solicitors who are saying look this is the price but this is all the things that go into this price the outcome of that is you make a decision whether it's good value not whether it's cheap or expensive, whether it's good value. Yeah. Value so is people are, more important. People can see that value if they see the transparency, but if they don't see the transparency, their automatic assumption is that it's going to be too much. Then they're, they're not was, going to have the That value. was what the evidence yeah. was that, that drove the reforms. Yeah. And so this, I think the SRA is doing really positive work. Um, and I think the solicitors are seeing them as a the same old compliance, oh, it's all stuff to make our life more difficult, are, are really, really missing a point on this one. It's yeah. really there to help them. And if you embrace it, it's about differentiation, isn't it? You know, we look better than the next sister you're researching. And it, but it all comes back to that, whether you buy into the fact that people do research online before they approach. And I think if you don't buy into that, you're probably 20 years out of date. You might get left behind. We all do it, we all do it don't we? The fact that Google's yeah. a word. Well, quite a few interesting points there that uh, advisors should be aware of, really. Just to summarise and tell me if there's anything that you'd add. Because of the change in regulation at the moment, it's a really good time to approach legal firms because Mm. from their perspective for providing referrals, they have to have done their due diligence and their processes to demonstrate why they're 
Well, you certainly have to. to. It's not, there's nowhere in the in the SRA regulation to say this is what you must do, but mm. it's best interest. You know, how right. do you demonstrate best interest if you haven't done the due diligence? That's of course. It. So it doesn't say you must do diligence on the, on your third parties. It says you always have to act in the client's best interest. So you have to you have to take a step back from the how can I demonstrate? Yes. So you see the 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 message, even if it's not see what the message is supposed to be, the spirit of it. Yeah, absolutely. And so if advi- advisors will be put themselves in a good position if, if they approach the firms with that in mind, so have all that information to demonstrate that mm. ready and prepared and set, knowing that firms have to, to act in that way with that independence. Yeah, and, and a tip, and a tip there might be firms will be tempted to produce a glossy brochure or a personalised PowerPoint or something that says what they're all this due diligence that's fine to convince the solicitors but be mindful that the solicitors don't want to put your glossy brochure in front of a client necessarily they want to say look this is why we've selected you so you might want to produce two versions you know a liveried version and a plain version the solicitors can put in their own brilliant yeah this is the due diligence we've done on this firm of financial planners not the due diligence so then it's not like an yeah yeah absolutely so it's not like it's an external i mean obviously it's an external firm but you can approach it more as a partnership or position it more as a partnership in that way as well um and then you've got to think about as well what you're going to offer that that uh solicitors firm as well how you're going to benefit them by working with you not just in terms of referring clients to you, but what you what you're able to give back, yeah, and and, and the, the two key the key point on that the yes to that, but also where on the journey, because it's that case of I I have a journey with my client. It's a financial plan. There's a goal. There are aspirations we're working towards, and along that journey, there will be referral back points. So it's that helping them change that one-off customer into a, a client that's coming back to. Fantastic. Great, great power the financial planner has in, in that relationship point. Yeah. And of course, operating with transparency, which is really important from an ethical perspective and a perspective that makes the clients feel comfortable and makes them more likely to do business. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that that message, whilst it is an SRA regulatory regime requirement, I think the message is on point for financial planning firms as well. Because, yeah. you know, as I said at the beginning of that section, yeah, whether you're doing research into a car, a microwave, you know, a pension provider, you know, you, you, we all do it. So if, if, if financial planners don't have to do it, of course they don't, but it's good practice to be transparent, have biographies of, of your staff, have qualifications, you know, look at who's involved, look at testimonials, all these things make you feel more comfortable as a potential client. Yeah. And of course, it makes the solicitor more comfortable in referring a client yeah. because in the same way that it makes a client more comfortable. Yeah. And also, but he, you know, whatever we say about the transparency and all the research, the thing that also comes out in all research is it's still a people business and yeah. reputation and referral are still key to clients. So testimonial on a website is part of that. It's, it's another client recommending you to that solicitor to that financial planner. But equally, the strongest clients are ones that are referred to you based on a personal recommendation from someone you trust. So not only client to client or client to solicitor, but solicitor to financial planner and financial planner to solicitor. Yeah. You build that trust. Um, a referred client um, is always better than a bought client or someone who's of just course. walked through the yeah. door. You know, if, if you've got those relationships, uh, they're, they're going to be valuable for both parties. 
Absolutely. Well, that's brilliant. I really appreciate that, Dave. What I'll do is for, for our listeners, I'll put the links to your website in the show notes so people can get access to that. You've mentioned quite a few of the really useful guides and documents and supporting things that you can offer them. So I'll, I'll put the, guide, the links in there. Uh, is there anything else that you think would be oh, useful to well, add? On the, on the homepage of C Professional, there's an articles tab. Um, and there's a lot of articles that uh, we, mostly me, have written for solicitors. So uh, you might you might think as a financial planner, well, that's not relevant to me. But all the stuff I'm talking about, although I'm writing for a solicitor audience, it always yeah. brings people back to the financial planner. So whether it's about transparency, whether it's about referrals, there's lots of good, useful information that is just printable uh, from the website uh, for background yeah. reading. Absolutely. I've, I've had a read of a good few of those articles and it helps understand the requirements of the solicitors, what their mindset is and what they need to achieve so then it helps you the advisors to understand how they can position themselves um, and how best to to approach the situation yeah and 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 the other thing on transparency which i forgot to mention and it sort of comes into this as well is jargon free is key you know people Mm -hmm. don't like jargon so not not just clients don't like to have to read legal jargon but solicitors don't like financial planners jargon and financial planners probably don't like solicitors jargon so don't call something and then don't call it an annuity, call it an income for lifetime in retirement, you know, whatever it may be. But, you know, use jargon free language when you're approaching solicitors and vice versa. And for clients, I think that's a good message um, to remember. It's like when yeah. um, when Co-op Legal Services was launched in 2011, which is now a top 10 provider of every in every area of law. Uh, in the UK, and it's not a solicitor, it's an alternative business structure. So it's, you know, it employs solicitors, but it's not a solicitor's business. And it's right. um, the thing that they went for when they were campaigning, a big TV advertising campaign, you know, middle of Coronation Street, prime time stuff. And I don't know if you remember it, but it was quite well known actor. I can't bring his name to mind, but a guy walked into a pub, walked up to the bar, and um, the lady behind the bar uh, said something along the lines of, Ah, can I pertain for you your habitual loquacious beverage? <laughs> and of course, he looks at her and says, "I'm pint the best" or whatever. You know, it's that, yeah. it's that using jargon because it's legal jargon. It's irrelevant to the client, of course. And solicitors are massively, massively guilty of it, and so are financial planners. <laughs> so it's a good point <laughs> to bear in mind. Don't no, fantastic. Don't, don't use jargon. Fantastic. I think that's that's a really good reminder as well on that front because we all forget that and we, we look at things from our side rather than the side of the client and, and that really helps. Well, it's like saying to a solicitor, I'd like you to refer me all your discounted gift trust schemes. And you leave the room thinking you've had a good meeting and one solicitor turns around to the other and says, what the bloody hell is a discounted gift trust scheme? <laughs> Why should they know? Why should they yeah. know? You know so it's, a, it's, very it's true. an IHT mitigation policy designed by a life company. No, that's really helpful. Uh, Really helpful. Thank you so much for for your time, Dave. I think this is going to be really interesting for for our listeners to understand how to approach um, and how to develop relationships with solicitors. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for inviting me. Very welcome. I've added the links to the C for Professional resources in the show notes of the podcast. And I definitely recommend having a look as there's so much information that can help understand the relationship and the requirements from legal professionals. Thank you for listening today. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please do share with your colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. If you have any feedback or any suggestions of what you'd like to hear on future episodes, please do get in touch. Thanks once again. Bye.